Good morning. Uh, we made a uh, minor change to the teaching schedule. I will be teaching uh, one more week on Mark, the day after All Saints Workday. And then afterwards, uh, for us who are interested, uh, we'll meet downstairs uh, to talk about witnessing. Um, it'll be a very um, interactive class. Uh, spoiler alert, we will um, actually be witnessing. So if you, are, if, you want, if you like that, then please come to that class downstairs. Uh, we'll learn um, a couple, two new phrases I wanted to introduce to us. Um, first one being, Annyeong, um, we know that's hello, Annyeong. And then uh, the, that word there and highlighted is chingu, chingu. Um, our chins here, and then, you know, gooey, gooey uh, Play-Doh or gooey you know, material. It means hello, friend. So can we say annyeong chingu? Annyeong chingu. Thank you. And that second phrase is a really important one. Kido um, haja. Yeah. Yeah. So like glee minus the L, ki, uh, do, you can say do or to, and then ha, like laughter, and ja at the end. Haja, kido haja. Can we say that? Yeah, let's pray. That's what it means to say let's pray. Not right now, we'll read first and then pray. Um, and then I'll say kido haja after this uh, reading. We'll start today um, from where we left off last week, uh, Mark 3, verse 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard. Uh, you may follow along behind me in your heart. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boarneges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to, uh, will not be able to stand. And if Satan 
has risen up against himself and is divided. He cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking out about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Kidohajayo. Now let's pray. Um, our gracious Father, uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a covenantal and uh, personal being. God, while you command us to uh, rejoice in all circumstances, uh, you also hear us grieving, and uh, you also give us the words to say uh, to those uh, to when we are mourning. Uh, thank you for doing that, Lord, um, for not abandoning us alone in our miseries and sufferings. Um, help us here now and um, help those overseas as well, Father, uh, by the power of your Spirit to uh, trust in your Son. Remind your people once again the redemption we have uh, because of your Son, Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his return, he sets free all who repent and believe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, we have a lot of many verses to talk about today. Today, uh, we observe how Jesus is going to create a new community, a new people of God who will embody the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus does so by um, many multiple ways. He does this by teaching, serving, uh, preaching, training, counseling, healing, and liberating people. So far, we have read about Jesus casting out the demons and healing lepers and commanding uh, paralyzed men to walk. And he has, uh, by this point, he has proven his power, and we also have uh, seen him offend the scribes. Jesus uh, knows, uh, we, we can tell from the last you know, two chapters we've read that he is not afraid of conflict, but on the other hand, he's also not afraid to make peace. And as the Prince of Peace who comes to them and us um, in peace, Jesus saves those who are um, at war with God, uh, those who admit that they are morally um, evil and moral, morally sick. He, he shows them that uh, they are enslaved to sin behind its bars, which is the same thing as being um, spiritually dead. So it's not nice in today's uh, climate. It's not nice to call someone spiritually dead, uh, but it is not nice to lie to them either. It is a tough spot to be in, quite honestly. But Jesus goes ahead of us. Uh, Jesus goes ahead of them and casts first stone, not an actual stone, um, but after he heals the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, as we talked about last week, 
Um, in verse 6, if we have our Bibles open, um, Jesus, uh, it, it tells us that the Word of God tells us that the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, uh, begin plotting to kill him with another group, um, the Herodians. The Herodians, just a quick tidbit about um, Herod's um, administration, they were opponents of the Pharisees. Um, the Herodians represented uh, the more secular people in power of that day. Uh, they were Jews whose religious commitments were small and uh, nominal, whereas the Pharisees believed that their extreme morality and extreme uh, religious purity would merit uh, God sending the Messiah to help them destroy Rome. So these are two poles, um, Herodians and the, the Pharisees uniting to kill, to, to kill Jesus. You have it all full coverage. So to the reader, Mark is saying that Jesus was totally rejected by institutional Israel, which is why Jesus begins to, like I said, to give us our you know, topic today, he begins to build a new nation, uh, a people of God, not based on our physical appearance, uh, physical characteristics, or geographical markers, uh, but a spiritual one, spiritual characteristics. So when we get to verse 13 and verse 31 later, Jesus will talk about who comprises his family. Uh, but we'll get there. We have the, uh, we have the usual suspects, uh, the men who would naturally believe in Jesus, as uh, Pastor Bullock reminded us at the end of the class, who would naturally believe in Jesus. The leaders of the world reject Jesus, and then you have the commoners who would normally not accept Jesus um, following him. The disciples prepared him a boat to stand and speak from uh, because of the crowds coming to uh, receive healing um, via his word, uh, ministry of word, ministry of touch, um, ministry of deed. The other day, Isaac and I visited uh, the VCU men's basketball uh, stadium to drop off all the care packages that we assembled last Sunday. And um, there we met, um, if you saw the pictures, we met uh, with uh, coach, the head coach, uh, his first season, um, Ryan Odom. We introduced ourselves to other uh, coaching staff and a few players. Um, they were very grateful and glad uh, that uh, we, we, we passed out the care packages, so I just wanted to say thank you. But the point of that, there was an illustration in that. Not only can the Siegel Center fill up uh, 7,500 um, Rams fans on game days. Uh, but if they have, after a big win, um, like a, if, if the Rams pulled in a huge upset, if, if the fans were to rush the floor, um, they could seriously hurt themselves, they could seriously hurt others. And as you may know, um, last year on Halloween in, in Korea, Seoul, Korea, 153 20-year-olds uh, between 20s and 30s died from a crowd crush. 100,000 partygoers flooded the city, and uh, they were finding themselves stuck in, in tight alleyways while they were bar hopping. And um, 153 died, and uh, many others were hurt. Uh, I say that to point this out, that the Pharisees and the Herodians would not have minded 
if the crowd wanted to make their plotting, their plot to kill Jesus uh, easier. Um, but as we see here, Jesus directs his disciples to um, prepare a boat for him. And I think this is important to note because God himself exhibits, you know, how much more in his being, how, how much more of it he is as a receiver uh, than a sender. Um, for example, a man and a woman love one another, a boyfriend and girlfriend. But the man uh, only speaks Korean and the woman only speaks English. The man, uh, out of his love, says, girlfriend, um, I need you to forget your English and I need you to learn, to in I need you to learn Korean to talk to me. Uh, this is what it looks like to be, you know, sender-oriented. Uh, you need to come, you know, you need to change your whole uh, paradigm to, to follow me. But if the man tells the, his girlfriend, I will learn English so that I can communicate with you, uh, he is then shouldering and putting the burden, burden on himself to do the work of learning her language so that their relationship will thrive. And so when we see this, God puts on human flesh and he comes down to us to speak our language, to live uh, the life uh, that we, that in this time they were living. Let's read the Shorter Catechism question 27. Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born um, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. And in uh, the Reformed um, in circle, we, we know that the, there are many distinctives, but a few I remember are uh, we're always reforming. Um, we are... Um, Pedo, you know, pedo baptism, uh, we're covenantal, and lastly, we are um, evangelical. Evangelical, and so um, what, we, what I'm trying to say is that there is no, not really a golden age that we can, we want to go back to. Although the world may frame some of the stuff up on their walls, uh, the operation of the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus, uh, the same ministry uh, that He was doing 2,000 years ago. Um, even now and today. So, but the religious moralistic professionals could not see that God had come in the form of a man. Well, in verse 11, I highlighted this, the evil spirits, they were not crying out here, you are the son of God uh, by faith, uh, but actually out of despair, um, antagonism, not loyalty. Uh, the low and despised men and women uh, really uh, received the gospel greatly and gladly uh, because it truly met their greatest need. It calls for us to remember that our greatest requirement and need is met, while at the same time, it calls for us to work out that assurance, our assurance of salvation with fear and trembling. Was Jesus on the run to call disciples? Um, let's ask ourselves four questions this morning. These are the questions. If you want to take a few minutes to type them into your phones or to jot them on your notepad, notepaper, 
I will ask you, what is your earliest childhood memory? Who was your childhood hero? What is the one word you would use to best describe yourself? And lastly, for the men, what is your most athletic memory in high school? And two, for the woman, what is your most meaningful relationship memory in high school? You know, it could be, a, you know, your best friend or it could be your a significant other or someone you dated. All right, lock those answers as you, none of you are typing in your phones or jotting on your papers. Lock them into your memories. I'm great. Okay, um, maybe 30 more seconds. Maybe 46 more seconds. Uh, I'll share my answers, um, and we're going to talk about um, the significance of these questions. All right, here we go. Oh, so I still now I see people, uh, others, <laughs> writing the answers down. Okay, as you are jotting the rest of your, um, what is my earliest childhood memory? It was watching wrestling on television and crying, because the men were beating each other up, and um, this is why I dislike violence. Secondly, who was your childhood hero? If you were here last week, I showed you in my journal that I want to be drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. It was a man named Dante Culpepper who had an amazing arm and just, that's what I wanted to do. Um, what is the one word you'd say best describe you? I wanted to, this is, I took this quiz a long time ago, so I, this is what I wrote, laughing stock. And number four, what for us, for me, it was returning a, kick, a kickoff um, and I fumbled the ball uh, because I did not want to go down, and the opposing team you know, picked up the ball and scored on the kickoff, and I uh, disappointed the coaches. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying this quiz is simple, um, because I know nothing happens in a vacuum, but I'm, and I'm also not saying that this quiz is 100% accurate. Um, I, I just wanted to let you know I'm not a licensed professional counselor, so don't, don't bank your life on these four questions. Uh, but this wanted to, as Jesus liberated his people, liberated and counseled his people, this helps me understand people when these four questions are answered. Our earliest childhood memories are uh, very instrumental to our development, you know, as children. Um, they play a very formidable and integral part in how we are and who we are. We find ourselves asking, is this world safe? You know, is... Is, is what I believe and do, uh, is this world accept, is, will the world accept me? And um, to this day, I cringe uh, at violence. I, I can't, it's, it's hard to stomach. Second, the second question for those who were here last week, right? I, I didn't end up becoming six, six foot four. I got to the 200 pound mark, but not six four. You know, whoever our hero is, our childhood hero is, we put them in such high places. And, and we take these steps to, 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 to get to that, to, to reach him or her. And we fall um, short of the glory of our idols, of our heroes. And uh, I was re powerfully reminded uh, this week that our idols are, are, are not meant to be there because, one, they can't even handle our idolatry. Uh, they weren't built for our idolatry. And uh, they weren't 
created to hold our worship. And, and, and the one man who belongs there needs to, needs to replace this, our character. And who's that person? It's Jesus. It's, it's the one man that we would not fall short of the glory of. And the word uh, we use to describe ourselves, um, did anyone here write the word Christ-like by any chance? I know that's two words, but that's, that's one word sometimes, right? Did anyone did? No? Yeah? Okay. That, that's the answer. We are uh, the one word. That's the answer. We, we're becoming Christ-like. However, uh, this, uh, whatever you put in, um, we tend to put, you know, a lot of power in our self-descriptions. You know, we, we, we've met, and we, 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 we ourselves um, may, con- may confess this, that we, we really uh, behave or act a certain way of how we wanted, we, how we describe our, ourselves. So uh, the, the professor would say, change that word. Change that word to someone you want to become, like Christ, Christ-like. Because that power, that one word that sums us up, we don't want it to be anything else. And so I'm, I'm encouraging us, I'm exhorting us to be like Christ. And, and that we, we trust in the progressive sanctification of the, Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit to, to get there as we mortify our sins and live unto righteousness. And lastly, this question of for men and for women, it answers, and I say this sensitively, but it answers, in my case, um, how I view myself. At the time I answered these questions, this was many years ago, but I did at that point, it, it did strike a match. I did view myself as a disappointment, you know. Yeah. Uh, we ourselves know, and we know others who validate themselves, and they validate how they live um, because of, possibly because of this, this memory, this stronghold. And so to free us, you know, I'm asking, uh, I'm exhorting us, I'm, um, you know, to, for our edification, to ask, ask God to, to help us remember, not, no longer remember that. Or just to forgive ourselves, uh, that also is, um, or, or, just, or, to, or to cast it upon Jesus. But I, I ask these questions because I'm, we're, we're going to get to, how would John and James, the sons of thunder, one word, thunderous, you know? How would Simon, how is Simon d- described here as a zealot? Judas Iscariot, Mark tells us immediately that he, he's the betrayer. What was his most athletic high school memory, you know? But these are the men that Jesus appoints to, to preach and to cast out demons. These are the men. And so what does that mean for us? And what, does it, what, is, the, what is the good news of, of the gospel here? It means that their childhood heroes, the men I'm pointing behind me, their heroes are replaced with Christ. The thunderous Man, the, the thunderous brothers, the zealot, will now be Christ-like. Hey, they're, they'll be starting, they're, they're going to start doing the things that Christ did in word and in, in action. And um, yeah, they're, James and John, they're, they're no longer sons of thunder, but they are sons of God in Christ. Do we see that? Yeah. I, hope, I hope I'm making that connection. 
And this is how they'll, they'll see themselves in action, in word, in ministry. This is, this, is, this is how Jesus is creating a new community, to go back to the main point. He's creating a, a community, uh, not by their physical traits, but by their, their spiritual characteristics. So what, what makes a disciple a disciple? One, we see ourselves as people chosen by grace. We see ourselves ministering to others and doing what Jesus did. Um, I, there's nothing that paraphrase like there's no parentheses around these things and let's say perfectly, right? Imperfectly, uh, weakly, yeah, W-E-A-K, weekly. We see ourselves ministering out of time spent with Jesus. We see ourselves being called into a community, not just an individual uh, relationship with Christ. But just to say again, the, the good news is that, that any race can belong to, belong to this. We can be adopted into his, his family. Any of us sinners who are uh, receiver-oriented, like the Father by the, by the, by the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we, we will take upon the burdens and, and shoulder uh, the, for, for, for the good of our neighborhood. You know? If that's the Christ we follow, Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot were united to Christ, and therefore they were linked to one another. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ for us as we are a part of a new family. The Pharisees and the Herodians, as I mentioned before, appeared to be a family, like a, like a family. They, they united, right, to, to plot to kill Jesus. But they worked on a project to, to kill him, to, to end, end this, end this man. But look at what Mark tells us immediately in verse 21. When his family heard it, even the family of Jesus, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. For them to claim his own blood or, you know, you know what I mean, biological brothers and sisters, for them to claim that he is insane, it would be equal uh, to the rejection of the religious leaders in Israel. And so this is how we come to this understanding that Jesus when he calls us, he says, your relationship to me must be spiritual and vital. It has to be alive. He is not saying you are automatically related to me. If you are my same race or my same clan or even in my same immediate family, it doesn't mean you belong to me at all. There must be a living, vital connection with me, to me. Jesus says so clearly and clearer in verse 35. Here are my brothers, my mothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Here, in verse 35, that shows that not everyone is Jesus' brother or sister. Jesus is insisting that no, despite what others teach in this world, everyone is a part of God's family. No, we're not. We're not. And as earlier we read in verse 21, Jesus' physical family went to go seize him. In contrast, I wanted to show us that the spiritual family Jesus calls his own are seized by Jesus, right? 
He captivated us. He possessed us. When you and I, you know, let Jesus do his thing, become our king, then that's how we can call him our brother. And, and, and that's how he can call us brother, sister, mother. And this is, not, this is, not, this is more than mere obedience. It's, it's replacing our childhood heroes with Jesus, someone who, you know, is going to bring the new heavens and new earth. We, we will not fall short of the glory of Jesus because by default we'll be, we, you know, I'm talking to the elect, the, us, uh, the, those in Christ, will be in our perfect and glorified body like our elder brothers, Jesus. And so we have to acknowledge, like, like children, again, childlikeness, we have to obey our elder brother, and we, we can't call him insane, and we can't say that he's lost his mind. Um, it is us submitting um, to him, uh, listening to his wisdom, submitting to his word. Okay. Now, this goes for all of us, because for the parents in this room and for the children in this room who have professed faith in Christ, Parents are called to reflect the, the, like, the, the Christ-likeness. Um, the, the children who've professed faith in Christ are to reflect his Christ-likeness. It's because we abide in Christ, and, we, and he promises that when we, abide in, when we remain in him, he will remain in us. And so children, uh, for our parents who are alive, remember that they are to be honored. And parents, remember you are to be honored. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us to honor our children. However, God doesn't command parents to honor their children, yes, but he also tells us not to provoke them in anger. He does tell us to instruct them in the Lord when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. And every Sunday, every Sunday morning, when we worship together, the household of Christ, we gather and when we're confessing our sins in, that, in, our, in, our, in our place of worship, we may know what our parents are, are confessing. We may know what our children are confessing because we, we see it every day. But it is ultimately Jesus saying, whoever does the will of, of God is my brother and sister and mother. Only by being born again, we are children of God, acknowledging that we cannot live on our own strength. So here it is, what it looks like to live out our sonships in Christ. Christianity was founded by Jesus, a single man, and was extended by Jesus, expanded by him, making that singlehood is a valid way of life. And for us who are married, Paul does say, live as if we're not, but he also does tell us, you know, gives us direct that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and for wives to submit to our husbands as the church submits to him. Jesus is telling us that only one family really counts and it really lasts, and it is the one that he creates. What happens when we become members of God's family, there is a cosmic shift. I'm going to show that to us on this teeter-totter. When we become members of God's family, uh, we stop idolizing family. Family idolizing 
happy family is the ultimate thing in life, the conservative and traditional view, but also on the other end, the cosmic shift is that we stop hating the family, family disdainers, right? There's many who say uh, in this, you know, secular world that individualistic, you know, individualism is, the, is the, to be the champion, right? And so these, on the seesaw, we'll just go you know, back and forth, back and forth, and we need to get to the middle. We need to get to the middle. Looking at Jesus, he is made in, you know, he, he tells us that, he, he shows us that family is made in God's image because he himself is three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, same in substance, equal in power and glory. And therefore, family life is important and should be cultivated, but through the lenses of Christ, through his worldview. Because that day when he was baptized, the heavens opened up and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So practically, practically, we must know that we are loved in Christ. And he died for us, members of all saints. For anyone who here is not yet a member of Christ's family, Jesus died for sinners like yourself and myself. And so how do we know this? Because how, do we, how can we practically live this out and know, that, know this? Because we see in Isaiah, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That, that right there, on, as we read in Mark 3 earlier, the crowd could have crushed Jesus before he reached the boat, uh, before he got on the shore to preach. Instead, it was the will of God to crush his son upon Jesus, the, the grief of his people, his family members who, who, who are seized by him, who are possessed by him, and our, our, our sins and our iniquities laid. Through him, we will become members of his kingdom. Okay, lastly, we will address the one that I breezed through, um, highlighting verses, chapter, verses 28. Do you and I live every day as if we are members of God's family, accepted and loved? Remember, a child in a family obeys not in order to be loved and accepted, but because he already is loved and accepted. And so here we're talking about blaspheming. We have to read this carefully, and I tried to when I was reading over the verses. Jesus says, all sins will be forgiven. He doesn't say all sins except blasphemy. He's saying all sins, including blasphemies, will be forgiven. They are forgivable because we, we know that there's no particular disobedient action in itself that he can't forgive. Um, there, you know, his merciful hand is not, is not short. But in context, Jesus had just been accused of being possessed by a demon, Beelzebul. And he's accused of not, being, not having the Holy Spirit backing him. And so the religious leaders find Jesus' actions, his behaviors, and authorities. Hey, this guy, his, his, he's not fitting their religious mold now. And so a simple example might be, you know, we have so many way, people here, and, and everyone ties their shoe differently. But the Pharisees wanted a Redeemer to come in strength and power to to preach the moral news for the wicked and non-God worshipers to become more and more moral. And Jesus is this regular looking man with a, with a dad bod 
and, and we'll see that he is speaking the good news. He is picking out bad apples, zealots and sinners and tax collectors who admit that they want to stop being proud and that they want to stop being self-sufficient. Men, it is male and female admitting a need for redemption, a cleansing, a new life. And we get in by grace, and we are kept in by grace. And so for us who reject the gospel, that is us right here who he's addressing. We are resisting the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus. That refusal to believe in the good news is a way to pass up forgiveness. For us who believe in the gospel, again, I want to remind us, any of our sins are forgivable, no matter how evil they are. But the rejection of the gospel, then, then no. When the preacher says today, after the confession of sin, and gives us the assurance of pardon, all of your sins are forgiven, he's speaking to the elect, to those who've accepted the gospel. So even those of us who are confessing sin, we go, we go places and we hear many, uh, many in Richmond just confessing their sins like it's just to catch you up on last night, to, to catch you up on what happened. I, got, I did this, right? But they haven't accepted the gospel. They're just, just vainly you know, speaking on what issues they're, 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 they're committing, what sins they're committing. So before we go inside that room today, we repent. We repent of spiritual pride and, and believe in the gospel of Jesus. That God created the world, he created us good, called it very good, and that sin entered the world, broke our relationship with him, and put us in uh, a state of sin and misery. But God, because of his mercy, promised his elect that he would send a redeemer his one and only son, Jesus, to die that death we deserved and to be raised to life that we don't deserve on the third day. And then he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will one day return to consummate all his family members to himself. All right, I'll pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you again for powerfully reminding us through your word that endures forever. Um, just practical uh, Christian living, um, to love our families through the lenses of Christ, to uh, not disdain families or undermine it, but also not to put the family above all else, but to realize and to recognize, God, that we as a, we are church, your, your people are... We may not be civilly connected, but we are spiritually connected. And so we, are, we may call each other brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in Christ. This morning, help us again that we are not loved and accepted because we earned it or it was congruent to our, to our, uh, to our abilities. But Lord, it was, it was unmerited. It was uh, you earning um, salvation for us, Lord. Thank you for that. And we praise you for that. And this morning, as we, uh, before we go to worship, I pray that we would re have gone in repenting and believing in the gospel so that you may hear our um, confessions of sin and that we may really be and actually be um, assured of our pardon um, because of uh, the gospel. 
And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.